Welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and I'm joined by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Guys, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday morning? Rob, there was a little bit of a breeze out there. I knew you were going to mention that. Uh, there's always that one day, seemingly around the middle of October, when you start to realize things are changing, the weather's getting nice, we're kind of midpoint of the season, we're working downhill. I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. How are you guys doing today? Oh, I'm lovely. I think it's a it's a nice day. Lovely. I'm just trying to sp- to spruce up the language here, Rob. Lovely, huh? I am lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely day. Um. Yeah. The, the weather's nice. You guys are gonna go freeze this weekend, though. You're gonna go to the little yeah, Chris really cool Mason off. and I, I are like gonna it. be at the game uh, in you, Salt Lake City this weekend. Are you weekend. a cold weather or a hot weather person? I'm gonna be uh, in the press box, so I'm gonna be good. The only thing that is tough is like you know the last five minutes or whatever that we're on the field. Right. Yeah, that that won't be for me when I'm on the field for the entire you know, three time. hours. You're, you're from cold, you're from a you know cool, damp, everyday you know place. Shout in the out, Bay Area, shout right? out San Francisco. Yeah. So Trevor, how are you, man? I'm doing good, Rob. It's it's going to be an exciting game this weekend for sure. So I'm well, excited to get talking. It was about certainly that. an exciting game this past. Wait, who's weekend. ASU playing this week? ASU's playing Utah. Oh, that's right. Did you forget? No. <laughs> okay. Well, it was a certainly an exciting game this past weekend uh, as ASU came back and defeated Washington State in the Mike Leach high-powered air raid offense. And the star really of this game, one of them at least, was. ASU's quarterback, Jaden Daniels, the true freshman who led the team on his third game-winning drive in the last four games, also in his first four games against Power 5 opponents. Uh, pretty impressive numbers for Daniels. He threw for three touchdowns, 363 yards. He also ran for a 17-yard game-winning touchdown. Chris, take us through your evaluation of this performance. Well, let me put it to you like this. I don't remember any quarterback at ASU leading his team on three game-winning drives in the fourth quarter in half of a season. So for Jaden Daniels to have done that as a freshman is something that we probably won't see again in our lifetimes. Like, that's that's the level of how rare that this is for that to happen, right? And I asked people on the board uh, after this performance – to compare where Jane Daniels is at now to Manny Wilkins last season, right? Because that was sort of my question going in. I said, I thought that Jane Daniels would, would be, you know, roughly around equivalent to Manny Wilkins, maybe, maybe not quite as good. So I asked the board, like, what do you guys think? And, and resoundingly, I would say the consensus was that Jaden Daniels is better than Manny Wilkins right now. And I don't know if that's true. Totally. But when you have those types of come from behind performances where it, you seem to make it look routine uh, against good defenses, not Washington State so much, but Michigan State and Cal on the road. And of course, fans will remember that last year, uh, Manny Wilkins had a pretty ugly uh, two minute execution against Stanford when ASU lost. Really right? ugly. And that's that's a guy who's who was in his, his third year as a starting quarterback. And Stanford's a better defense, but that was a home game, so I don't think that's that that was a more difficult situation than what Daniels did against Michigan State or even probably Cal's defense. And so, um, this is something that we probably won't see again. He is a a generational type of a quarterback, a guy that you that you need to sort of maximize while you have him because he's probably only going to be around for three years. And um, 
his the consistency of of his demeanor, the way that he goes about his business, uh, it never really seems to change. Uh, he's just uh, it, it's it's truly truly remarkable, and uh, I don't know, man. This you can't. There's you know there's really almost no superlatives that are too great for what he's doing at this point and and the guys sitting around the table here know that that's not really like me because i'm always screaming at everybody to stop being so effusively uh uh, positive about about things well he definitely deserved that what did you guys make of his performance this weekend it really rob just goes back to the preseason camp and how coaches were saying poise beyond his years is something they continually refer to and rob likens and herm edwards both in the last couple weeks through these first couple drives too we're both expressing just how much trust they have in him at this point. I remember him after the game in the press conference, he goes, he, he recalled going to Jaden. He's like, you know what time it is? And Jaden's like, yep. And it, he seems to just welcome that challenge with his coaches. And, you know, that they think he's maybe going to have a little bit of a surprise because of his age or a little bit of discomfort, but that doesn't show. And it almost seems like that this is just becoming routine. And this is something that's he's, he's completely adjusted to. It's the third time in six games that we've seen him do it. So just the fact that he's sort of welcoming these situations and bringing them on himself and continuing to succeed is really impressive. I, I think I think for me that the biggest thing that I've noticed is the calm collectiveness with which Jaden Daniels carries himself, especially in these late game situations. And I'd actually written on September 5th of this year that that Jaden Daniels is respected by his teammates and coaches as somebody that is not a freshman. It, his teammates are constantly saying, we don't look at this guy like he's a freshman. He's a veteran to us. And, and, and that was something that really stuck out to me because he is the leader of this team and he's taken on that role. But I think that his confidence in the and just how calm he is in these late game should be high pressure situations has kind of permeated in a way to the rest of the team and they see that in him and, and they, they do see that this is a, a freshman with a veteran presence and that's been impressive. Uh, you can say that, right? But he still hasn't done, he hasn't played in front of tens of thousands of fans against good college defenses or any college defenses before this year. So he's doing something and he's been successful every time against in situations he's never seen before and he's done it in different kind of a ways that's the other thing I, I really want to highlight you look at Michigan State uh he needed to complete a 40-yard fade ball to Brandon Ayuk to even have a chance in that just to set up whatever yeah. happened after that the fourth and 13 scramble the subsequent first down scramble which set up the one yard run for Mino Benjamin then you go and that was a 75-yard drive right then you go to Cal and they need to try to bleed clock so now you have a 15-play drive that takes six over six minutes of time off the clock. You need to score because Cal just took the lead. Correct. and they But that was a different type of a drive than the one that they had against Michigan State. And then you fast forward to um, him hitting the check down four times in a row to Eno Benjamin to start the 75-yard drive. Now remember, I mentioned the Stanford earlier. Wilkins didn't hit his running back when he should have had hit check down to Eno Benjamin that would have probably allowed that drive to be continued. So it, it it is the poise, it is the presence, it is but there's something innately in him. This is not this is not something that anybody taught this kid. He has he has an innate ability um in fact his mom I asked his mom about it and she was like he's a winner. 
period. That's it. Like, and I'm like, okay, well, you're his mom, right? So you're 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 a little bit biased, but it's true. This kid is just like if he's doing this right now, what what is he gonna be in six more games, twelve more games, eighteen more games, twenty four more games? What is he gonna be like? He is. He is unbelievable almost. And it seems like in this game where ASU's offense had to come out and put up points, had to be able to match whatever Anthony Gordon and Washington State was going to do, ASU's biggest offensive star shine. You know, Benjamin, over 150 scrimmage yards for him. He had 137 yards on the ground, uh, six receptions on the day. Brandon IU career high in receiving yards, touchdowns. He almost had 200 receiving yards. He had three touchdowns. And both those guys, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk, were not 100% coming into the game. Um, you know, Benjamin actually threw up during the game on the field right before a play started. What do you guys make of how ASU's biggest weapons really did perform? Well, it's almost a little bit of disrespect that we go five-plus minutes of this podcast without mentioning that Brandon Ayuk had one of the best performances by an ASU receiver in recent history, right? Um He's so good that, and it happens so smoothly, so kind of just like naturally that you don't really appreciate it. I don't think like how how impressive that he is because he just like he just like takes a slant and then he runs eighty six yards and Hermeter was just like that should have been a ten yard reception, right? And then he like from that condensed formation, he like blows by two defensive players, just dusts them on his way to a 40 yard touchdown. Right. And then like he gets up and he like shrugs it off and he like gives the ball to the official. Like he's done it a hundred times, which by the way, like I look at that and I'm like, I'm impressed by that. Like there's no like look at me stuff about Brandon Ayuk, Right. And he is as Jacob Rudner wrote about, uh, on pace at the midway point in the season to have one of the best performances by an ASU receiver ever. In fact, maybe even the best by an ASU receiver. So so he is, in terms of like almost every major receiving category, on pace right now to be in the top five or at the top of the list in almost every single one of them. And, and just to draw like recent comparison for people that are listening, Nikhil Harry last year had... A really, really impressive season. Nine touchdowns, nine receiving touchdowns, over a thousand yards receiving. Brandon Ayuk is projected at the moment, if he continues on his pace, to eclipse every single statistic that Nikhil Harry put up last year, except for total receptions. All of them. And I think just to put in perspective, kind of wrapping up what you were saying, Jacob, the importance of Brandon Ayuk in that game, and I wrote it in my sidebar from Saturday night, is the fact that on Jaden Daniels' 17-yard touchdown run when he went and scrambled the end zone for ASU to take the lead, that was actually designed as a post route for Brandon Ayuk, and the attention toward him allowed Daniels to kind of get that space and be able to take off and run, so it just showed you how much of a difference he was able to make there. And I think it's just cool that a guy that had this many issues and struggles that he's talked to me about and, and talked to others about in junior college, just getting to the point where he's at a Power 5 school, let alone excelling like he is, it's a cool story to see a guy like this who's who's been battling for a long time to get his name in the just get in a in a chance to have something like this and for him to actually be taking advantage it's it's interesting and cool to see well the junior college players they it's 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 difficult and what i have seen time and, and time again in my career is 
a lot of these guys, they only really start to get it going at the tail end of their two years. And then you always say, oh, man, if this guy, guy had another one more season, he'd have blown up and, and, and been great. Well, Brandon Ayuk is, has accelerated that pace. And now you have to start thinking about where does he rank in terms of the NFL prospects that are on the draft board, right? I mean, he's got to be a top 15 receiver in the country projecting forward based upon what he looks to be, Mm -hmm. especially with his return game capability and all that. Um, I mean, this is going to be perceived as blasphemous, I think, probably to like ASU fans because Nikhil Harry was like a hometown hero, a local guy, all of these things. I don't really look at Ayuk as being a clear step lower than Nikhil Harry as an, as an NFL prospect. I think they're different types of guys. Harry was that 50-50 ball winner, the back shoulder guy, you know, the, the red zone, you know, guy who's going to like with two guys draped on him still come down with the ball. Brandon Ayuk has some attributes that are a little bit, uh, better to the open field in the NFL mm-hmm. because he's going to be able, I think, to get open a little bit more. And I think that um, he has a little bit more diversity with his route structure and what he's probably going to be able to do, considering that this is only his second year of college football. Um, so I'm interested to kind of see how these two players unfold with their careers at the NFL level. And, I, and I'm and i saying right now, Brandon Ayuk, to me, should at least be like a, th- a third round type of a prospect. I think it's he's that level of a player. You mentioned that you see the the improvement in junior college guys in the second year of, of actually playing at yeah, their big at their, step. Right. How much more improvement and, and genuinely I'm curious, how much more improvement is there going to be or is there for junior college guys between their final season of of division one football and then entering the NFL? Is there another big step yeah. for them well that's see that's the problem is that a lot of guys don't get that opportunity that had they been in college for three years now they're now they're getting drafted or they're at least on a roster somewhere right so so you have to be a certain level of talent just to be even able to have that type of an opportunity right so what i'm saying is that there's other guys in the past i think about like laquan lewis was a phenomenal athlete at two years four three forty guy at at you know five eleven and 200 pounds as a corner but he didn't really get the opportunity you know so um you know Rashad Ross is another guy like that so there's just you know sometimes these guys get opportunities sometimes they don't but it really is uh it's difficult in your second year you know to come in and start to get enough reps to then show what you can do to be able to get those types of opportunities Chris, what other takeaways did you mainly have on the offensive side from the game on Saturday? Most importantly, probably just that Donovan West had another excellent outing. Um, he gave up a pressure on the first Brandon Ayuk touchdown that went for 40 yards, but he was able to hang in there and push uh, the defensive lineman just enough away from Jane Daniels, who recentered. His feet in the pocket did a really nice job of keeping his eyes trained downfield while doing so. West ended up with a 94 grade from Dave Christensen, which is the third time that he's received a 90 or higher grade uh, from Christensen since he moved uh, to the right guard position. He was the highest graded player. Uh, I thought ASU's offensive line continues to kind of make strides. Darius Henderson struggled. 
with speed on the edge, and that that was a, a big factor and really has been. The Washington State's gone to some more. Uh, they went to some wide nine type of looks that were hard uh, for Henderson to get quickly enough into his uh, his release. And then uh, Roy Hemsley has been splitting a lot of reps with Steve Miller almost on a series-by-series basis. It seems like they were swapping them out or maybe two series here and there. And Dave Christensen told us that uh, Roy Hemsley continues to be playing well enough that um, he's going to continue to get some some opportunities. Yeah, he, he actually mentioned that that was going to be something that would continue because of what you just said. Hemsley is playing well enough to earn the opportunities. But he also mentioned that Steve Miller is – he used the word banged up a little bit still – He's kind of dealing with a couple things injury-wise, and he said that that's also a consideration to just keep guys fresh on the field. But he he did say he was impressed with how Hemsley was playing. And shifting to the defense, I mean, this was a big test for Arizona State and for Danny Gonzalez unit going up against the Pac-12 uh, leading team in total offense against Washington State and Anthony Gordon. He had a really pretty solid game, 460-plus yards. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. He wasn't pressured very much uh, as ASU went to this more 6-DB look for a lot of the game. Yeah, they tried to bring some uh, pressures with their defensive backs, a lot of um, attacks from the slot defender. They brought Evan Fields down to the line of scrimmage and sometimes had the Ranger safeties pressuring. But ultimately, as the game unfolded, they recognized that um, they weren't going to probably be able to play with that much zone. So they went to some more man coverage looks. I thought it was an interesting strategy by Danny Gonzalez. They had the advantage of watching what Utah did against Washington State two weeks earlier, going to six defensive backs and really uh, holding the Cougars in check. And that's something that also that Washington's done um, in the Apple Cup in previous years. And this was Gordon's first opportunity uh, Utah was Gordon's first opportunity to see that type of a defense. So the, I picked, you know, people know I picked um, Utah, I mean, Washington State to win the game. I thought it would be close, but because of the advantage of being able to prepare in a bye week for that 6DB look. Um, and I had the score right until Jaden Daniels did what <laughs> Jaden Daniels uh, tends to do. So clearly the Cougars gave uh, ASU too much time at the end of the game there, um, which was really impressive. But yeah, I just um, early on, ASU was was uh, really trying to change its personnel groupings to match what Washington State was doing uh, with its structure on an almost play by play basis. And it's one thing to like practice that and try to install it, and a totally other thing to actually do it in a game situation against uh, such a powerful uh, offense that Washington State has, number one in the country, going into the game probably still this week, but. Uh, they kind of settled in as the game unfolded. Ashari Cross, Crosswell, pardon me, gave up um, the first touchdown was 40 yards, I think, on a ball that he was a middle field zone defender, and he kind of bit on a crossing route in front of him. And then uh, the second touchdown that, that they gave up, Crosswell again made a mistake of going to the flat when he needed to settle in to his own so they had two defenders in the same place and that was a that was a a breakdown and I think those things contributed to Gonzalez deciding to go into more man coverage for the rest of the game Um, everybody knows that Jack Jones was targeted a lot gave up something like 10 to 12 receptions Uh, a lot of those were on those slants but they were underneath the defense that was the key thing is that ASU forced Washington State to sustain drives 
you know, a lot of 10 plus play drives in order to, to put points on the board. That's the type of flow style of a game that Herm Edwards is comfortable with. And Jones uh, had five pass deflections, which is pretty impressive considering that through Saturday's games, the national leader has 13 passes defended, and that includes interceptions. Mm -hmm. So I don't know for sure, but my guess is nobody's had more than five passes defended in a single game all season. Partly that's because they picked on him, and they, they he gave up some, some plays, but also he made a lot of plays. And Chase Lucas, I don't think, hardly gave up anything on the perimeter. Uh, so he played well. Kobe Williams played well when they went to their uh, six defensive back looks. He was playing in the slot. He played some safety role. And uh, Danny Gonzalez said this after the game, and I agree. Uh, Max Borgie was very successful running the ball against uh, prior opponents, 7.7 yards per carry. And as a team, they only had like 30-something yards rushing because they didn't really have an answer for how ASU was defending a lot of that stuff with the linebackers coming up and filling the interior gaps and the safeties being able to fill behind it. I noticed rewatching the game on on a number of occasions, the linemen were releasing to to try to get the linebackers and safeties, and they just weren't able to get them. And we talked about it on the postgame show how Danny Gonzalez was daring Mike Leach in the offense to run the ball, and they didn't do that. Um, and uh, one thing our subscribers will know and the people that listen to the postgame show, I'm sorry for saying Max uh, Borgogi instead of <laughs> Max, Max Borgie. Uh, but, uh, uh, Jacob, what do you think you, is more embarrassing, when you say Max Borgogi <laughs> Or when you say Kadon Slovis, as the, I think uh, I think Kadon Slovis because he's a quarterback. <laughs> okay, for say, one of the more so. prominent teams in the Pac-12. Now, now just because ASU is playing Utah this week, I will say that uh, ASU ha- went up against and struggled against one of Utah's former players, who was Polynesian defensive end. And I probably butchered his name <laughs> at least eight to ten times on, across multiple seasons on podcasts. And his name isn't coming to me right now. And it's it's I'm going to think about it while you guys talk and then I'm going to get it right. You oh, mentioned. God. <laughs> I'll go back to the, the comment that you made about Jack Jones having a really nice game. And, and something that's worth pointing out is that he did take his first punt return rep of the season against Washington State. Brandon Ayuk had a little bit of trouble, it looked like, with the officiating on what was a fair catch versus what was not a fair catch. He looked like he was shading his eyes on punt returns, and they were calling that a fair catch because he was putting his hand up, which is technically a signal for a fair catch. Chris? Well, I have a great—I think that's a great point that you brought up just because uh, I I noticed that somebody on Twitter said that the team that was uh, having to defend uh, into the sun struggled much more— so another way. So the so the first and third quarter, you know, teams were going in the sun, defending in the sun was a lot worse uh, than the, the second and fourth quarter. Right, and and Brandon Ayuk kept putting his right hand up above his eyes to try and shade the sun out, and they were they were calling him on a fair catch, and then so they did eventually put Jack Jones in for a punt return. It was he got one try, seven yards on it, but that was something that we had been discussing in the preseason podcast that Jack Jones might get a look as a punt returner. And now it might actually be something that's kind of happening. Really is pretty interesting to see how Jack Jones has taken a clear role on, on this team with the fact that he got, got into the program just a couple weeks before games, uh, hadn't done much in the past at USC after being this highly touted recruit. And it's interesting to see that he's really starting to come into his own and getting a lot of time 
with this Danny Gonzalez defense where DBs really have an opportunity uh, to make plays. But Chris, just overall, can you give some perspective about what this win does for ASU? Now 5-1, and one, um, pretty much guaranteed to make a bowl game this year if you take care of one of the lesser opponents uh, in the remaining schedule. And like you said on the postgame show right after the game, there's opportunity now for much more than that this year. Well, it's an important point that uh, you want to be showing progress, right? Building year one to year two. And we knew ASU's defense was probably going to be better this year overall just because how young they were and how much that they had returning. And uh, they've had some hiccups, but they are trending in that direction. You didn't know about ASU's offense replacing multiple offensive line starters, Nikhil Harry, Manny Wilkins, et cetera. Um, and what they're able to demonstrate by winning as a ranked team, uh, you know, being in these, you know, high profile Pac-12 games in the middle of the season um, while still playing a lot of young players, having a freshman quarterback, Jane Daniels, that's an anchor that you can build around, really is that uh, that the Herm Edwards, you know, uh, success of last season wasn't kind of fluky, right? It was more of something that they're able to not just replicate, but maybe even build upon. That matters a lot in recruiting. Uh, it gives you cachet because you're now saying, oh, hey, we play young players. We have NFL coaches who are going to help you be able to you know, tell you what it's going to take to get to that level. We run a discipline program, but we let you guys be yourselves. And... Um, all those things I think are going to resonate, right? And I think it for, for ASU fans, it's very important because people were very on the fence about Edwards. Like a lot of people didn't want Tagran to be fired. Then when Ray Anderson hires the guy that he has a you know close personal relationship with, there was a lot of the nepotism sort of allegations from fans. Uh, and now it looks like, oh, hey, like we might be on to something, right? And um, we, I think, talked, you know, before the season even started about the potential for ASU get up, to get off to a good start because the types of opponents that they were playing, Cal, Michigan State, were conducive to ASU from a style standpoint. Um, and I didn't think that they would lose to Colorado, certainly, and maybe I thought they'd lose one of these other games. But I knew that a, a 5-1 and one se- to start to the season was possible, and that's why when we talked about the, the most likely records for this team in preseason – I said seven and five. I thought was the most likely, but then eight and four, and then nine and three, as opposed to a six and six type of a season. Simply because I felt like if they got into a good rhythm early on in the year, that they could be able to turn that into a better season than what what uh, would typically probably be expected from this team. So, um, a lot of fans are now talking on the board about whether they would basically take a three and three finish to get the team to eight and four. Just given the the challenges ahead, you know, you know, Oregon and Utah and uh, having to travel to Oregon State, which has been tough, and then USC, UCLA, Arizona. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I I will say that eight wins is probably the most likely outcome at this point in the season. Uh, if you guys could re-rank your preseason prediction for how many wins there would be at the end of the year, like right now, what would you say is most likely first, second, third? Eight wins is most likely. Seven wins is second most likely. Nine wins is the third most likely. Yeah, mine would be in the same order. I I started the season at eight and four most likely, nine and three second most likely, and I think I had seven and five as my third most likely. And I'm feeling yours are going to be pretty good. Yeah, mine are going to be pretty good. But I think that nine and three right now is what I'm looking at. 
the rest of the way. What, what was the, the ESPN FBI had ASU at 7.7 7, 7. 7 or 7.8? 7. Uh, 7.8. 7.8, and I saw another one that said 7.7. 7. So, it, you know, pretty much a lot of the modeling is somewhere between, you know, the high sevens is what the average win expectation would be for ASU. You know, but the thing is, is that if ASU somehow beats Utah, that's going to jump to like almost nine probably, right? So, you know, one game outcome, especially if you win as an underdog or you lose as a favorite, can really you know knock that what was asu after it lost to colorado like six and a half yeah it was it, it, i think it was below that and then 6.2 or something yeah and then it went up to 7.2 now it's at 7.8 and and utah is actually the most difficult game forecasted in that system even more so than oregon now there you go well it's certainly interesting just to see where this program is going and in, in, in the rise in the Herm Edwards era and just to see what people think about it. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, though, for publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.